I want to challenge you with this subject. Become who you are. Looking back over your life and reflecting on the way you have come to where you are now, who do you think you are? What do you believe about yourself? What is your life about? Logotherapy teaches that your life has been given to you with a purpose in mind. Your birth was no mere accident, but planned or ordained to be. Your life, therefore, is no arbitrary matter, but is a life with some determined destination and meaning. Viktor Frankl said the following, We venture to say that nothing is more likely to help a person overcome or endure objective difficulties or subjective troubles than the consciousness of having a task in life. That is all the more so when the task seems to be personally cut to suit, as it were, when it constitutes what may be called a mission. Having such a task makes the person irreplaceable and gives his life the value of uniqueness. Existential analysis, which is logotherapy, aims at bringing the patient to the point of highest possible concentration and dedication. It is our business then to show how the life of every man has a unique goal to which only one single course leads. Can you accept that you have such a singular and ordained mission in life? You may have little problem in accepting the basic tenets of logotherapy, namely that as human beings we have freedom of will and inherent will to meaning and that we search for meaning in life. You can easily apply these tenets to your own life, namely that you are a free agent. I mean, nothing and no one is forcing you to be anything other than what you decide you would be and what you would be doing with your life. And you can also accept that you are searching for answers in your life, that you have your own world to meaning. And as to the meaning of life, yes, you are confronting yourself with a question as to the meaning of life, but the conclusion, you say, will be yours and rightfully yours alone. Even if you cannot else but agree that the prime principles of logotherapy are true, and yes, do apply to you, you may still want to believe that you are not necessarily accountable to anyone but yourself. You would like to take that kind of responsibility, namely as a responsibility before something or someone other than yourself, out of the picture. But if you believe that you alone are in control of your life and that you will live it without reference to any authority higher than yourself, what do you make of love? How will you come to terms with the two other fundamentals of logotherapy? That you were given unconditional 
inherent worth and therefore are unconditionally loved for who you are and that life is unconditionally meaningful no matter what questions you may raise against it or whatever fault you may find with it. You may find that the reality of love will floor you and bring your arguments of being sufficient unto yourself to naught. Let's consider this. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. It can be found nowhere else. You cannot make yourself beautiful, however hard you try. No matter how you stress and strain, you cannot set up or achieve your own beauty, nor even convince yourself of the fact that you are indeed beautiful. Your doubt about that will remain. You will be chasing beauty in vain. Beauty is either bestowed on you and you are beautiful, or you will be out on a limb trying to achieve such beauty on your own. Here is the issue. Can you be utterly and self-sufficiently alone? If there was no one there to love you, how could you experience love? And if you cannot experience love without the experience of being loved, how can you love yourself? In whose eyes will what you want to believe about yourself, namely that you are beautiful in and of yourself, be affirmed? Who will even see you, admire you, find you beautiful? Can you be happy in solitary confinement? Or do you need to have someone there to behold you and in the act of beholding you, love you? And let me ask you this. Can you do without someone to love? How do you experience beauty in yourself except in the experience of loving someone? You are lovely in the act of loving. You are a lovely person when you love and appreciate, care for and protect, selflessly give of your time and effort to somebody else when you are serving someone in need. Oh, you might say, I can love nature, animals, the sky, a world out there, even if I am all on my own. I can do my own thing and feel good about it. Really? Think about it. If you delight in nature all on your own, what are you in wonder about? Are you not in wonder about the fact that there is a reality outside of yourself, one not of your own making? Who created it? What wondrous hand was at work behind it all? Oh, you might protest again. But I can create something with my own hands, bring something beautiful about through the work of my own fingers and say, look what I have made, what I am capable of. Your works will applaud you, find you worthy, you will say. Again, think about it. Where did your genius and expertise, your creativity come from? 
Did you create yourself? Make your own hands? Did you create your own mind? From whence your talents and abilities? Phew, down-to-earth truths are that there are those who love and care about you. What does this say about you and your life? Are you going to protest the love others feel for you? Claim that it is unfounded or that you do not need it? Yes, you can do that. Many of us do that. Declare ourselves independent of anything or anybody. But behind this brave front of self-sufficiency, there may lurk a fear, namely that we are not as self-sufficient as we make ourselves out to be. The flip side of the coin of being superior to having a need for anything or anybody but ourselves is to give in to our fears. We can pass a verdict of inferiority on ourselves, declare ourselves insignificant, short of perfection, unable to do anything of real worth, and let ourselves be plagued with the suspicion that deep down we are really up to no good. It is easier to be lost in sin than to take up our cross and stand up for who we are and express what we believe about ourselves. Think about this. An abused woman will stay an abused woman if she finds it easier to believe that she deserves to be abused rather than stand up for herself as someone of dignity and worth. If she does begin to protest the abuse, she begins to express her own worth, her belief in herself as someone of note. Then she can stand up to her abuser and say, How dare you? Who gives you the right to do this to me? Do we have inherent dignity or not? This is what Frankel has to say about the common belief in original sin. Namely, that we are fallen and lost creatures and that there's nothing much we can do about this except hand over our lives to somebody else to live it for us. Or to be recreated, be someone else other than what we believe we miserably are. Listen to what Frankel has to say about this. Generalizations of moral despair which cast fundamental doubt on the morality of mankind, holds that man is evil, both in himself and at the root. This brand of ethical Weltschmerz, which means a worldview of sorrowful lament, must not be allowed to paralyze anyone's ethical actions. A few model lives a few intellectual or ethical geniuses, or even a single individual here and there whom we truly love and admire might provide justification enough for humanity as a whole. If one man proves that it is possible to be an exemplary, eco-homo human being, this shows that all men 
have this capacity? Is the fear of responsibility at the root of the belief that we have been given no other image than one of inescapable failure and doom? What is responsibility? Franco asked. Responsibility is something we face and something we may try to escape. There is something fearful about man's responsibility. But at the same time, something glorious. It is fearful to know that at this moment we bear the responsibility for the next and that every decision from the smallest to the largest is a decision for all eternity. That at every moment we bring to reality or miss a possibility that exists only for the particular moment. That is quite frightening, isn't it? But oh, we also bring something about for eternity by making the right choices. Having to choose, we have to agree, is a human condition. Frankel's views are captured in what the Bible says about the fact that we are all called upon to live responsible lives. In the words of the Creator Himself, I have set before you today, every day, life and good, or death and evil. Therefore, choose life that you may live. Death is for sure the end of an awesome matter. But you may argue, is it not supreme arrogance to assign man the power to be able to live up to lofty standards set for his life and reach peaks of human greatness by his own doing? Is it not far more humble to see man as an abject sinner, unable to be his own saviour? Did I say that? I only said that we are loved, whether we acknowledge it or not, surrender to it or not, and that without love we cannot rise to the heights and climb the peaks of human greatness and beauty. It is love that makes us great. To do our utmost for the highest is what love inspires us to strive for. Do you love? And if you do, see what it does to you. You cannot, for the life of you, give up on the one you love. You will do anything for the one you love. Go all the way for their sake. Stand up for and defend them with your very life. You will protect such a loved one against harm. Try and take the blows they suffer upon yourself. Their anguish is your anguish, their joy yours. Such a one is in your heart and mind always. You will never leave nor forsake them, no matter what. If they fall, you will be there to help them up. If they grieve, you will comfort them. Oh, what can you do otherwise? You love them. This is the way you are loved. Unconditionally, life will never give up on you. 
Only you can give up on your life. Unconditional worth has been bestowed on you. Yes, on you. And only you can spurn and spoil that worth and throw your life away. Your life has been invested with unconditional meaning. It is for you to discover and believe it. Frankel stated that we need to have unconditional faith in the unconditional meaningfulness of life without reserve or question. The full acceptance of self in the full embrace of forgiveness and redemption of our person is found in love. In the midst of the very misery and supreme injustice of life in the Nazi concentration and death camps, Frankl had an experience of love that transformed his entire life. This happened when he was remembering his wife. He was spiritually lifted to a dimension far beyond and above himself. For a few glorious moments, he experienced the unfathomable glory and wonder of love. The stupendous gift he was given in being able to love and to be loved by his wife. Whether she was still there and whether she was alive or dead did not seem to matter. Their love for each other transcended everything that could still question the meaning of life and the gift of being able to live it and be awesomely part of it. This is what he wrote. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is in and through love. For the first time in my life, I was able to understand the meaning of the words. The angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory.